This becomes the buildup of their military. So in 1763, the EIC had 6,680 6, troops in Bengal alone. Jeez. Mm-hmm. By 1823, that number was 130,000. Wow. Yeah. That is fast. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And, and that's in Bengal. <laughs> like Jeez. They have this massive military. And of course, these the people who are forming this military are people from India. So they are like being forced into colonizing their own lands, essentially through the EIC. Um, and for reference, they only like their actual employees, like civilian employees only numbered around 35,000 in 1830. So this okay. is, like completely dwarfs the number of actual employees they have. Instead, they have this huge military. Okay. They built fortresses. They had a navy. (laughs) The navy doesn't surprise me. As I said, well, no, it's kind of part of it. Yeah. But they minted coinage as the king let them do that. Um, They kept an archive of their documents that we now have. It's in the British library. They, it ran its own courts and it maintained prisons for their own prisoners. This is... Again, it's everything that the king let them do, but they're doing it. They're yeah. not just being like, okay, cool, thanks for that. They took it and ran they're with like, it. They're like, no, we're going to actually do this. Yeah, yeah, they did. So, like, if you committed, if you stole from the East India Company, you don't go to English courts, you go to their courts. That's kind of scary. That's, like, is too that, much power. That is like, way that's, too You can go rogue way too easily. power. Um, they had a really uh, kind of... They were really picky about who they let actually be employees. They had a whole um, examination process and who was going to be like a part of theirs. Um, And by the 18th century, they were really popular. They were kind of like a super popular public trading company because they had, they were consistent and trustworthy on the profits they were able to return because again, they're subjugating millions and millions of people. Yeah. Um, You know, so like investors included men, women, Noblemen, politicians, military men, merchants, administrators, financiers, professionals, and small investors, including people who weren't from England. And so they, it's just like the power is just insane. One of the things that helped turn this tide into um, switching to more uh, land acquisition model was the Battle of, oh God, where is it? I lost it in my notes. Um, Plassey. And this is, um, a man by the name of Robert Clive was the governor of Bengal. And so this is like the biggest force they had in India. So this is like a big, big name dude. And um, a lot of historians kind of mark this as a turning point from in their transition from a profitable trading company into essentially a full fledged empire. And this is in 1757. Okay. This battle included what put 50,000 Indian soldiers under the Nawab of Bengal against just 3,000 of the company men. Um, The Nawab was upset that the company was skirting taxes in India, but um, he didn't know that, like, Robert Clyde had, like, basically a deal with Indian bakers so that, like, they didn't have to pay taxes. Hmm. And that meant that most of the Nawabs, who's like the leader of um, the army in Bengal, the Indian army, just were like, "Ah, we're not going to do this. (laughs) So they ended up taking this over. Um, And so 
this victory gave the East India Company broad taxation powers in Bengal and is what made the company kind of realize, oh, we may have... We're going to shift our mission here a little bit. The historian I mentioned earlier, Emily Erickson, said, quote, this completely changes the company's business model from one that had been focused on profitable trade to one that focused on tax collection. That's when it became a damaging institution, a really damaging institution, in my opinion. So um, another big criticism they had was that they were like not... Uh, aiding the spread of Christianity. And this is when a lot of people are like, yeah, it's still a company and not a country. Because if they were really a country, then they would be pushing Christianity. But <laughs> since they're just a, co- a company, they're like, nah. And they actually went so far as to ban all missionaries. And they didn't undo that That's ban interesting. until 1813. That's mm-hmm. very interesting. Yeah. Uh, it said that the directors were kind of, they had seen that the Portuguese empires had made like they had made some mistakes when they forced catholicism on those people on the people they're subjugating um and so essentially an alienated making potential allies of people when they're forcing religion on I them mean, they're so not they're like, wrong they're not wrong but like i hate it's that you just did it for unusual that yeah yeah <laughs> um so in 1773 the regulating act uh the 1773 Regulating Act and the 1774 India Act gave the British government military, financial, and political control over the territories administered in its name by the EIC. So this is when we start to see the transition of power. This is when the waters get blurry between the company itself and then England. So in 1774 is when we really start to see England as a country be like, hey, um, you can't, you got to give that to me. (laughs) (laughs) Hand it over. This is a hold up. Yeah. Remember how we let you do all of these things to get that land? Well, time to pay up, buddy. Um, Also, these acts meant that officials of the EIC could no longer conduct private trade. And it ensured that there was a lot more transparency over just kind of generally what was happening with the EIC. And so... They are, like, slowly starting to, like, move towards, you know, kind of taking them under their wing. By the 1780s, it was pretty clear that the EIC was essentially a branch of the British government. Um, But it hadn't been exactly, like, subsumed quite yet. But, like, essentially, functionally, it was. And by the early 1800s, around 100 members of Parliament in Westminster's that were also employees of the EIC. So, like... It's one and the same. Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, that's assimilation. Yep. So in the now British actual country controlled territory in India, they kept expanding. This leads to the greater colonization of India and eventually the com- total colonization of India. Um, the Charter Act of 1813 proclaims British sovereignty over newly captured territory and formally ended the EIC's monopoly on trade with India. So that is when we can finally say, okay, this is not its own thing anymore, really. Um, it's still kind of functioning, but it's that's kind of the last straw to be like, okay, this is... Okay. Like, it's still a branch of the government. It still exists, mm-hmm. but it's not an independent company anymore, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, they continue to, um, establish bases in other countries, including Singapore, uh, and the Malaysian Peninsula and like all this 
kind of stuff. Um, but in 1825, there's a global economic crash. And so the ERC takes a pretty big hit because of that. Um, good thing they are now <laughs> supported by the states because it's not as much of a hit as it probably would have been. But yeah. Uh, in the 1883, I'm sorry, the 1833 and 53 Charter Acts further reduced the EIC's power. Um, they lose their monopoly on trade with China, and they also, um, in 1853, also there is the first railway and telegraph lines in India. So they start, they stop needing like the EIC. Mm-hmm. Um, so. By the time that the Mughal Empire collapses, they are pretty much, that's like, they, they're they done. They're over with. So this is in 1857 through 1858. The Mughal Empire collapses and we have the formal closure of the EIC. Um, this also has to do with like the Sepoy Mutiny. Did you do that? I did part of, there okay. was a link over. It sounded really, yes. uh, it sounded really familiar. Yeah. Um, so this is the first Indian War of Independence that rebelled against the British rule. But all of this kind of comes together and like really kicks the EIC finally in the dirt. It doesn't exist governmentally. It doesn't exist anywhere. We are done. It's over with. Um, so this is the, so the British were able to quash the mutiny in 1858. The crown took full possession of all in East India trading company territories in India and other places, and now, like, completely like, controls India. And on June 1st, 1874, Parliament formally dissolves the EIC. Yeah, I so, did, I, I didn't do, like, the Sepoy mutiny in its whole, but I, yeah, like, did it a... it sounded really familiar, but I couldn't It's because remember. it was part of another... Gotcha, yeah. yeah. Um... <clears throat> So, obviously, as I've mentioned before, the EIC has, like, just an insane amount of influence over colonialization, over the countries that it subjugated, over capitalism, over how companies can operate, over all of these things. But what's really interesting, too, is, like, this is kind of the first modern corporation of its kind and so a lot of what it's what it did really kind of paves the way for how companies operate of course you know they're not going out and acquiring territory yeah but when you see things like um coal miner towns how they make their you know i'm getting oil money vibes yes yeah it's just monopoly there's a lot of connections to be made and of yeah of dots to be connected throughout history of like why companies operate the way they do now one of the biggest influences they had was that because of their just pure ability to get goods this is the first time we really see the rise of consumerism of course the industrial revolution doesn't help but because of the availability of textiles and stuff from other places the historian emily erickson notes that this is the quote this blah there's this possibility of being in the right style that hadn't existed before. A lot of historians think this is the beginning of consumer culture in England. Once they brought over the cotton goods, it introduced this new vitality in what was popular. So like, it just like massively changed our culture. And now we have things like Shein, you know? Oh yeah. Um, yeah. 
She also says, quote, it's hard to understand the global political political structure without understanding the role of the company. I don't think we'd have a global capitalist economic system that looks the way it does if England hadn't become so uniquely powerful at this point in history. They transitioned into a modern industrial force and exported their vision of the production and governance to the rest of the world, including North America. It's the cornerstone of the modern global political order. So that i mean it it yeah and it's like i like the term the term cornerstone what was really frustrating to me doing this research it's like i'm getting i'm getting the facts i'm getting that they did this and then they did this and then they did this mm-hmm. i'm it's like it doesn't really connect to like i think it's one of the few like times the cultural effects yeah of it. i think yeah. it's one of the few times that history is so much bigger than anything that currently exists that you like yeah. you your brain like i just chooses can't. not to it's yeah. like it's, that's how i feel about the death toll of world war ii mm. it is so astronomically impactful yeah that my brain doesn't even try to under like, like we, we cannot don't know a world yeah we don't know like, a world without it fundamentally changed our world yes and, and I, it, this is it. I, I, this is one of those yeah, things that, that's like, a good point. there's so much of history that, like, oh, what if so and so? What if the Titanic did sink? What mm-hmm. if you know uh, the first right, flight like, had Amelia Earhart sink. hadn't gone missing? Like yeah. all these little but those what are, like, ifs, little small things that but, we can imagine. Like, okay, this is what have happened, and this is what yeah, have happened. Yeah, but, but we like, do not know a world without yeah. these effects. Yeah, and it's just so like that was the most challenging part of the research you know confusing timeline aside i can kind of follow mm-hmm. different wormholes like, you can follow the facts you cannot yeah. fully we will never be I able to yeah. empathize fully with mm-hmm. the impacts of this and i mean obviously we know the effects of colonialism in india and we're still unpacking a lot of those um but like i, I just you know you get glimpses of it yeah but it's really hard to see the full picture yeah yeah and it, just how influential they were. It's kind of like yeah. it's kind of like certain parts of science. Yeah. Like you can understand a theory all you want, but mm-hmm. seeing it in application would be a radically different yeah. thing. Yeah. And so Yeah. So sometimes we have to just accept that we cannot yeah. understand, which sucks because as historians that's the I, that's the point of history is to understand yeah. and analyze it, but you just can't. I know. And like, you know, part of me especially starting this it was like why don't we learn more about this mm-hmm. this would be so incredibly hard to teach this would be an a if, dissertation this would be an entire this semester is like, this is yeah a whole class on the east india company and you know what i would take that class it i would take a, a yeah in a heartbeat because yeah. like it, it's everything from our modern trade systems uh-huh. to how countries develop and to, to be able to like really get in there and be like yeah this battle and this battle and like there was some i found there was like a whole let me say I wrote it down. The Great Bengal fa- Famine of 1770 was said to be caused by the East India Company. So it's just kind of like... Yeah. These, the, the, the shock waves are yeah. so Not wide. to mention the entire opium war thing. Mm-hmm. And we are going to do our, our... I am going to do whole episodes about that. Yeah. So it's just like... it's. I think that's why it's kind of hard for me is because it's just... It's just hard to understand and like process. Yeah. Holy shit. Like how much it is yeah yeah so and because we have nothing like that in Mm -mm. the modern world so yeah anyway i hope that wasn't confusing and i hope no i I followed it yeah okay cool thank you (laughs) i yeah okay because it was like I was like, whoa, what am I getting myself into and you just kind of got to ride those waves sometimes well you did a good job because it didn't feel as a topic is overwhelming as you explained it it was not okay so you did a good job if you felt overwhelmed thank you 
Yeah. You well, you know, job. you know, when you're reading your notes and you're like in the middle of it and you're like, oh my God, is this making sense at all? <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Especially when I do ancient history, I'm like, I'm writing these facts down and I will repeat them, but it's going to take me a while yeah, to like to comprehensively like really understand. understand. And that's why like, I am a firm believer of you don't really understand something until you can teach it. Yes. Yes. And that is 100%, 1 million percent true. And there's a couple yeah. topics on here that I've I've presented, I've, I've yeah. talked about that you I'm are, like, still so shaky on. Yeah. And that's why I think it's really hard for us to do some of these culture, cultural topics that we just haven't had a lot of exposure to. Yeah. And we've talked about it before, but like, mm-hmm. it's hard for us to break into places like Africa and yeah. break into places like India and see, like we don't have Southeast a good foundation. Asia. And because we just don't have that foundation mm-hmm. and that understanding right. in order to relay, because it's like, I can tell you the facts. This is what I have written down. But like mm-hmm. to really get to where we know it enough to like relay it. It's, yeah. It's hard. It's it, hard. It and is. It takes a lot of work to get to that place, but it does kind of feel like we're chipping away. Yeah. Like we're making a dent. Yeah. We're making some headway. So it I might hope be that... a small little door ding on an 18 wheeler, yeah. but you know yeah. what? It's, it's a dent. Yeah. I hope that, you know, this is a dent and some of those things too. I'm really excited for next week for yeah. you. I know I'm going to do, I am going to do the first opium war. So get ready for that i'm ready yep wow so. great job thank you yeah well <sighs> we'll leave y'all with that and the assurance that we will be talking more on it next week um in the meantime if there is something you want to tell us you can find us on twitter at t-i-n-a-h-l podcast or you can email us at this is not a history lecture at gmail.com and we will happily take suggestions and ideas so hit us with them yep we're ready. All that good stuff. Yeah. And in yeah. the meantime, just a reminder that this has not been a history lecture. <gasps> Bye. Bye.